And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, which will sound just a tiny bit unique. Um, It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. All the nations saw it and joined in saying, the Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles and we are overjoyed. Now, Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Those who sow in tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of praise. They may weep as they go out carrying their seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouts with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and a harvest that's overflowing. I'm going to read one more verse again as we start to pray. And this is our heart cry this morning, Lord. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Jesus, this morning, would you drench us again? with the love that you have for each of us. God, the love that you have for each and every one of us is so unique. You know us so intimately. You see us. God, we are seated with you in heavenly places right now this morning. We're wrapped up in your arms. God, it may be hard for some of us to believe the reality that We are completely and perfectly loved just as we are. We don't need to do or change a thing to earn any love from you. Father God, you just stretch out and reach out to us no matter where we are, no matter how we feel, no matter what's going wrong, no matter how we've messed up, no matter what we're bringing with us into this room this morning, you stretch out your arms and cover us with love. Your delight is in us you delight to come and to meet with us. God, would your delight just fill this room this morning? Will we just each find a space to rest with you this morning to just put everything else aside and just fix our eyes on your face, Jesus. Be reminded of your nearness to us. Be filled with your comfort this morning. God, I pray also that you would unify our body this morning. Those that are online, those that are traveling, those that actually don't even live here, but they they just watch and keep faithful with us online. Those that are here, God, would you unify our hearts that we would all be fixed on the one main thing that is you, Jesus. We are here for you. We just surrender ourselves this morning. It's an honor and it is a joy to come be in your house and worship you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. standing and participate when we do you hear us calling we pray for the universal church its members and its mission we pray for the continued persecution of believers in China specifically making headlines as Apple giving in to the demands and cutting off access to scripture through their app and so we just pray specifically for the believers that are in China God we what we know to be true is that your word is written on our hearts and so even when man tries to cease the spread of that perfect salvation what we know to be true is that they cannot stop it 
And so we just pray that you would bring comfort to the believers who are facing persecution. And we pray that that perfect salvation that is hidden in your word, would it begin to just take over the people in the country of China. May it not be stopped or hindered, but it may go forth with fullness throughout the entire country. And would they know that there are believers around the world interceding for their safety and their protection. God, in your great mercy, would you hear our prayer? You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. Yeah, you hear us, you hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. We pray for the world and all those in it. We pray for the bombing and the terrorist attack that took place in Uganda. We pray for the bar where the explosion happened and all of those impacted by it. God, would you send necessary resources for the physical aid and would you mobilize your church to be your hands and your feet? God, would you bring peace? May we be vessels of peace and hope as a church and would you send your people in Uganda to love those impacted well? would you restore justice would you bring peace where there is chaos would you heal and be near to the brokenhearted and to the wounded both spiritually and physically god in your mercy would you hear our prayer you hear us calling you hear us calling on the father that was killed in Austell the end of this week. God, would you bring comfort to their family as they mourn the loss? Would you be with those who are involved in the incident? God, would you be near? Would you be near even as violence in general in throughout our city and our state and even just our nation as violence is increasing, God, would you place people and strategy in the right places that we might usher in peace? That we might be those vessels, that we might be those that, that get to know and begin to love those around us in such a way that we are your light, that we bring the kingdom and light of light into the darkest of places. God, in your great mercy, would you hear our prayer? who suffer in it. We pray for Caroline Godby that you would bring full healing and restoration to her back and to her neck. That she, whatever is out of alignment, whatever nerve is being pinched, whatever muscle is tightened, God, would you just fully heal her body that it would operate exactly as you have made her body to operate. That she would walk in freedom and healing and testify of your goodness in the ways that you have moved to heal body, that she would experience rest and relief in the name of Jesus. We pray for Roby's family as they grieve the loss of his mother. We thank you that you've provided a way for him to be able to get back home. Would you just be over the logistics of getting back home and would you be with their family as they grieve that loss? We thank you that you tell us it is in your nature and in your character to be with us and hold us and to wipe away every tear from our eye when we are grieving. And so we present this family to you and we just ask that you would be near and that you would hold them and be the God of comfort. 
in this, in this process of grieving. We thank you that you don't run from any of our grief or any of our troubles, but that you insert yourself in them. So God, would you come? And we pray for anybody else who is sitting here in this room or online where weariness and heaviness and the darkness feels like it's too much to bear. God, would the light of your kingdom insert itself would the sun begin to rise and the light begin to peek through the clouds of darkness? And may we, as your people, be bearers of your hope and your joy and your peace with every person that we interact with. God, in your great mercy, hear our prayer. Oh, you hear us calling. You hear us calling, Abba, Father. Oh, and you hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. And Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Welcome, 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 welcome back. Um, if you've been a part for the last few months, you recognize that we've been doing this. River City's prayers of the season, we do this by kind of corporately asking for what we all sense that God is asking for our body and how God wants to use our body. So we feel like it's important to, to get a, like a communal thought of that. And these are really what surfaced from that. And so far, we have already talked about spiritual formation We've talked a little bit about hearts that serve, and today we're going to talk about looking outward, and what these are are not the end in themselves. So you're not going to hear a message about one of these, and then that's it. It's really like a, uh, a, an invitation into intercession for the season. And so each of these things that jump out to us, we're asking God to do because we don't see them yet, but we believe God wants to bring these things in the way that he would. And so you're going to hear about these things over the next few months, and we're going to leave it open to God to answer them how He desires, not how we desire. It's okay to express our desires to Him, I think, but in the end, ultimately, He's the one that gets to decide what's best. But if we are a body who intercedes and prays, I just know that He honors that, and I know that He wants that for us, because there's more than just prayer that happens. There's communion with the Father. And I think communion with the Father makes all of these things more manageable, the more we are with Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about looking outward. The actual words for this pot are coming now. You don't have to read this with me. You can just listen as I read it. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunities we've had to support local and global outreach opportunities. That's a lot of opportunities in there. And pray for wisdom to discern which opportunities, more opportunities, you would have us say yes to in the future. We pray that our body would seek a connectedness to the needs in our city and seek partnerships that empower us to practically be the hands and feet of Jesus. So this is our pot looking outward. You could talk about this almost like this is mission. A lot of church would say we want to be a missional church. In our language, for our whole network and even for our church, it's kind of like community transformation is what we say. That's all the churches in our network really buy into that one of our four vision pillars. And that idea is that we want to see the activity of God just outside of our body, not just in. While I do believe my role, which you've already heard, and the role of the church is to equip the saints, and I will, I'll probably die on that hill for the rest of my life, that we should be formed as we're sent. I would say to you as we start that looking outward is not different than spiritual formation. They're actually the same thing. 
So I think we have a tendency to choose one way to live out our Christianity. And I think if you look at Jesus, you see all of it. It's integrated. He's integrated a way to be a Christian that is looking outward and being formed in the meantime. And I think that's what we want to go after. That's what I want to go after. Even when we talk about Love Smyrna, that is not the end in itself. That's not something for us to take pictures of and brag about on the internet. It's an opportunity for connectedness to people who are in our city. And it's just that. It's not just, we're going to do these things. We're going to cut hair for free. I mean, we can pat ourselves on the back for that. But I can assure you when I'm there, I'm going to be looking for people to meet. And maybe there's a coffee that comes out of that. And maybe God's already been working in those people's lives so that when that interaction happens, there's connectedness that can come. Does that make sense? And so I I feel like formation and mission are really one and the same. And I think we can... We can step more into that. And so I'm going to read to you a passage today after I tell you this. We have talked about the way that we would like to embody this with three, three concepts that comes from practicing the way, which is a part of our ETS groups. And the idea is a life that you can do to be with Jesus. You can pull that up. You don't have it? That's the one I asked you to... Okay. <laughs> cool. You're like... I already know what they are. Y'all kind of know what they are. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. So these three buckets, these three things are, I think, the life of discipleship, and I love the way that they say that. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. I would say that you don't want to just... Can can I do that? Yeah, I can do that one. You don't want to just jump... I mean, this is a Christian. This is a Christian Burke, but it's a lot better than the other version that could have happened. You don't want to just... Julie didn't laugh at all. That's okay. That's my barometer. If she's not laughing, I have, I'm in sin. <laughs> I don't want our body to just do what Jesus did. Because we're so good at just doing that we leave out the parts that really make it, like make the soup good. Like, we want to sip the soup. It's about making the soup good. That's, I don't know why I went there, but it makes sense to me. So I'm going to read you Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. You've already heard about this passage. I've spoke on it. I love this passage, but you're going to get it again today because it's actually the text in the lectionary, and I love that it is. So follow along with me as I talk about Bartimaeus. And the they in this passage is the disciples, Jesus, and it probably actually says this in a crowd. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, Jesus is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, interestingly enough, Rachel, what is it that you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go on your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and he didn't go on his way. He followed Jesus on the way. I can't even preach on that right now. I would just lose it, that part of it. So this is interesting. Just a little context. Jesus is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. Jesus is heading there and going through Jericho because he's on his way to Passover. And so he's got this crowd with him because more than likely on the way, Jesus is literally teaching and walking, which is what he did. He would teach and walk. I love that. It's like, how does he, how does he multi? I need to like, can we just walk one day? Would that be cool? I could not be the guy teaching, though. I would feel that would be like, no, it's too much. So there's another, there's a crowd with him listening, and he's passing along, and they've lined the streets because not everybody can make it in at one time for Passover. There's too many. There's too many priests, even. They have to, like, regiment it out for when they can go in. 
And so people are standing on the way saying things like, Godspeed. And this particular day, they've actually heard about Jesus because Jesus is the one that stood up against a lot of the hierarchy that, that we're hearing about in the scriptures. And so they want to see, is something going to happen? And he passes through this, the city, and at the end of the city, at the north gate, Bartimaeus is sitting on the roadside like we just heard. And Jesus has an interaction with him. Bartimaeus represents for them very clearly someone who does not deserve their time. And I want you to note that up until this point, this man has been crying. This is the first time his cries are actually heard. So it's as if Jesus was saying, this one's not to be overlooked. So we're going to stop, and I'm going to have an interaction with him. So the people who are telling him to be quiet are then told, get him. They get him, bring him to Jesus, and Jesus' question is so kind and so unassuming. It does not assume it has all the answers, even though I think Jesus had all the... I mean, I'm just like, kind of feel like Jesus had a lot more answers. But it gave space for Bartimaeus to not be told what he needs and allowed this interaction to happen. And a few things are happening here. This is the end of about three chapters of spiritual blindness. So this is the the beauty of Scripture. This is not just about a man's blindness, but about the blindness of disciples, the blindness of a city, the blindness of the Pharisees, unwilling to see the people Jesus demands that we see. So all of a sudden, a man is healed of his blindness, and a community is healed of their blindness. What I love about being with Jesus and following him on mission is that there's always more happening than we can see. In this story, a community is healed because he has compassion for one. And I don't believe he was just trying to heal a community and using Bartimaeus. I feel like when we say yes to being with Jesus and following him to the places that take time from us, make us see what we don't want to see, and cause us to actually be present, there's always that layer just on the outside. I mean, how badly would a man who's never met Jesus but heard about him need to see Jesus' compassion in this way? How badly would a disciple group who were asked the same question two chapters ago and answered, I would like to sit at your right and your left? Same question, different answer. One group is looking for power. Why? Just, just travel with me for a moment. When Jesus asks that question of us and I say, I'd like a bigger church, why? When Jesus asked you that question and you would like more prominence or a ministry position or even leadership over something, why? What, and, and I'm going to travel a little further. What is that offering? What is it offering me? if I get that next level of power. Does that make sense? What is actually at play when those are our prayers? What's at play here? And you need to hear this about your Jesus. He does not berate the people who are praying the wrong things. Bartimaeus is beautiful and honest, and his response is met instantly because it's, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. But the disciples are the enemy here, it seems, the one who pray the wrong prayer. There is actual disciples, and he is not finished with them. So for us, I'll say this, if we're unwilling to be honest about our desires, we can't be healed. Jesus is always growing us. So if our, and I'm just saying it, our our desires are, are power. Our desires are more. And Jesus isn't done with us in that. These people have been traveling with Jesus for a long time. They still don't get it. Just imagine if you remove Jesus from this equation, what happens here? This community of believers who already have wanted to do it on their own, let us go and do these things. They would have traveled up to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus would have been told by them, please be quiet. We're on our way to Passover. Passover is important. So our personal spirituality doesn't get to tell other people in need that we don't have time for them. And what if this, 
What if our struggles with our own personal spiritualities and desires are actually hindered by the lack of looking at the other? The monastic community had seasons of time where they would focus on not thinking about themselves. They actually had tracks of time where they weren't allowed to think of themselves, and it brought such healing communally. The disciples without Jesus... I want to be careful in this arena. The disciples without Jesus could not do the ministry of Jesus. They would have done it wrong. Even with Jesus, they were doing it wrong until they gave space to hear what Jesus had to say about it. This is what I'm actually here for. This, we're on our way to Passover. You're on your way to these things you've been talking about that we're still not getting. No, this is what I'm talking about. This is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The people in our societies and cultures, the people in our lives that we've just decided aren't really worth our time, the people that are actually already asking the good question, please help me? Like, who in our lives is saying, please help me? I mean, there's whole community groups saying right now, we need help. Shh. We're having church. But I also love that Jesus doesn't make them attack the whole city in that moment. Be with Jesus, listen to him one at a time, allow him to lead, and those one specific interactions, those become the framework for how a gospel reaches a whole city. Whole city. I, I'm not going to share too much here. Joan, are you here? I don't want to share your story. I do want to share your story. But just, I would love her one day if everyone would meet Joan and hear her story. Should, will you raise your hand, Joan? I would just like to honor you in our community. You are a blessing and a gift. Like you, ha- you already don't know how much you are. But the story of how God has brought you to us has healed us in ways that we needed it. And I'm just thankful for you. And the story of Jen's connection to Joan, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. So for us, I do this thing where I go all over the place, and it's okay. I was told not to apologize, so Josh, don't apologize. Amen? Amen. Jesus has to lead our procession. We follow. He calls others to join. It's not bad that people would join in the work of Jesus. American church, I just want to, I want to like own that. Like I don't want to just present a gospel that leaves Jesus out of it because what are we really doing then? Bill and I were talking about, I think we're just Gnostics at that point. Like what's the, it's the gospel. This person, Jesus' interaction with this person is, well, how do you want to be healed? You're healed, your faith has made you whole. Go on your way. He doesn't even say, come follow me, bro. He's like, go on your way. When you really encounter Jesus, you want to follow him. There's no no convincing. There's no 12-step, 14-step idea. He was like, I'm leaving here. And if I read the passage right, he left his covering. So put feet and body to that. He just follows Jesus, and he wants to. Now, the monastics, and I am going to talk for a moment about this. You probably are sick of me talking about the monastic community I, to me, this has revived my desire to be alive for Christ in a city again. Because they did a few things really well. They would target an area to move into to love the city well. But their goal was just not, everybody's great. They sent people who were actively in deep formation. And so if you were a part of a monastic community that you said, I would really like to jump into this, you were offered a few things right off the bat. Number one, they gave you what was called a cell, which is horrifying to hear. But a cell to them was a space or a plot of land in a beautifully scenic place. It could be a forest or a grove or a river that you would visit every day. It would be yours and yours alone. You would go there and they would say things like, everything you need can be found in your cell. It's a little much to say that, but... They would sit, and they would be at peace, and they would be restful, and they dealt with the inner space that Americans are not good at dealing with. 
Number two, you were given an Anam Kara, which is a spiritual friend. This wasn't a mentor. This was somebody walking the path with you that you met with all the time. You had meals with. You discussed what was happening, provided for you in that. Number three, if the community was larger than 10 people, you had a small group of people that met each week that just lived together. Number four, you all practiced the common things together. You worked together. You had meals together. You read scriptures together. You prayed together. Tons of imaginative prayer together. They believed that the imagination was a part of spirituality. I believe this too. And then after all of that, after time spent in that community, you would somehow step into what God had called you to do as specific vocation in that community. Not first, but after time spent, there was space. So imagine walking into that. And there was space to be at peace. You were given these things. And they would open their communities. And they would allow anyone in. Guest, refugee, anyone. And their belief was that you had to belong before you believed, which was contradictory to the common evangelistic technique at the time, which was you receive Jesus and then you can belong. So they would have these awkward seasons of people just kind of floating around. They didn't really know what they were doing. And then... As the spirit moved and as the desire surfaced in a person, they would say, I would like to follow this way. I'm talking about like that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. So there is no fear up front. There's no quota you have to meet as a Christian. There's the grace and peace of Jesus to trust that his work is powerful enough. And they did not do it all for us. They would say to people as they entered, The spiritual work that God wants to do in your life, you have to take responsibility for. You have to take responsibility for it. You have to take ownership of it. This is not something that's done for you just by your community. And as they did that, people would come. There was a a person called an abbot in these communities. His literal life was given to hospitality. Literally, if he was in the middle of a fat or an abbess, and I feel like I'm saying that wrong, but an abbot or an abbess. (laughs) You get the picture though, right? So they would instantly meet with you. They would ask what brought you there. They would want to hear your story first. (laughs) Who does that? I think Jesus might do that. And then they would serve you a meal and you were invited at their personal table. If they were in the middle of a fast, they would break their fast because ministry to strangers and refugees, and foreigners was more important. I'm just telling you. They had a phrase called, I think I'm making this up. <laughs> but the, the meat of it is, is good. The meat is good meat. They called it the ministry of conversation. I actually want to read you this quote. This will, this will do it better. And I've already given this book to many of you. It does not appear to be a fun book to read. It is not one that you, even the title, it's like, Okay. It's not the Celtic way of evangelism, so, all right, I'm going to read you this. Celtic. Yeah, that doesn't help for a lot of people. That's more like, wait, what are we talking about? Put yourself in the place of a seeker or a refugee or an abused teenager who has been invited to visit a monastic community, and you have found your way there. What would you likely experience? You would meet a porter stationed near the monastic community's entrance whose chief role is to welcome guests and introduce them to the rest of the community, the abbot and everyone else who would come with you. All courtesy and love is what they wanted to offer you. All courtesy and love is what they offered. The abbot, or abbess, I was right, would gently inquire about what had prompted your visit, and so began the ministry of conversation. I am literally in love with the phrase, the ministry of conversation. I don't know, really know why. Would, would read scripture for you, would offer prayer for you, would extend the kiss of peace. I want to pause on that part. <laughs> the abbot would wash your feet from your journey because it was by foot and would, would show you to the guest house, which would be managed by a caring brother who would give you bedding, You would be included at the abbot's table at meals. If the abbot was in a period of fasting, he would break the fast, for the abbot has no higher priority than the ministry with guests. I'm just telling you, that's, ah. You would learn the monastic community's highest 
commitment is hospitality to strangers, seekers, pilgrims, and refugees. The Benedictine Rule 53 mandates, all guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ. For he himself will say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. All guests. So here's what I get from this. All people that we interact with are our guests. Whether they're walking in these doors or bumping into us on the street. And no matter where they come from, no matter who they are, what they embody, what they brought with them, they are treated as if they are Christ. Even if you disagree with them. And one of the things they would do that's going to turn some screws is they would learn about the people who would enter previous religions or religions they were in because they would assume that Christ is big enough to have been working in those people that got them there. So what thread was already working within them that led them there? So they learned about each person's story and what they believed instead of saying, no, this is wrong, believe this and enter. This is the kind of thing I believe God is leading us to when he's talking about looking outward. So when we talk about Love Smyrna, which is a great idea, and I think it's blessed, and I love it, I'm not interested in posting on social media what we've done that day. I'm so interested in hearing stories about people that met with you after, that people that you got a sense that God had drawn to you or that you recognized, oh my goodness, that's actually my neighbor. Look at that. I'm interested in hearing how God's thread has already been working and the conversations even within this room. That you show up that day and you serve and you maybe meet somebody already in this room that needed to have the ministry of conversation with you. The goals of Jesus are not what we think. He walks and preaches. It doesn't have to be super speed. It doesn't have to be fast. I actually think it's probably wrong when it is. Just like our formation. So we're going to pray today a little bit. And we're going to make it uncomfortable, if that's okay with y'all. Yeah, everybody's good? (laughs) Rachel's like, I'm so game for this. I want to ask you a couple questions, specifically for you. Is there really anyone, just one, idea or thing that's already stirring your heart to compassion? Because what he was trying to do with this situation with Bartimaeus was offer listening, compassion, and kindness. Because this person not only needed to be healed of his blindness, but needed to feel like they had a place and belonged. Because what is healing about? It's not just about the moment. It's about he got up and he followed Jesus on the way. Is there anyone in your life right now? Right? Is there any group of people that you've decided are expendable. (laughs) That's a good quiet. There's no reason for that. Even if it brings fear or question or makes you worry about what it might appear like if you care for a refugee or for anyone in need of care, just offer it. And then I would ask you specifically, what would Jesus say to you with your interaction with those people? What would you say to him? I already know, like, I don't want to riff here because it's too much. But the disciples were being formed by Jesus' value of the other. And that is spiritual formation. In fact, I would go as far to say spiritual formation is not actually happening if it's not coming out of us. So man, I love to like worship and pray and I love my quiet times with Jesus and I sit next to rivers every week. I do, I go and I sit and I look at water and it feeds my soul like I'm listening to a choir of a thousand people. But it can't end there. It can't. And so what is the invitation? 
for us. What if there's just one person this year, just one person this whole year Jesus calls you to love well? Like how awesome would that be? Just one person. Not 50. You don't realize all that's connected when you say yes to Jesus' ministry of conversation or ministry of hospitality or just being present. You don't know all that's connected there. You don't see it all. There's stories from Blind Bartimaeus that day when that happened that we don't even know happened. Like things happened in that community because of that that we don't have the content. It just did. All those people saw that and then all this happened. It's unbelievable what Jesus does when we say yes to him. And so if you would like to stand with me, I would love that at this moment. And I'm going to ask for Sarah to come up. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. Where's it at? Yeah. Yep. We're going to stall for a moment while we get the communion stuff. You guys remember Sarah? She's my wife. We've got to wait for a second to get the communion stuff. I have so something I want to say. Do it. Bring it. <laughs> um, so lately I've been thinking a lot about um, or paying attention. Nice. That's quick. Um, the language we use often when we talk about God, and we talk about God and Jesus is King. And what's interesting is often our language when we talk about Jesus and God in this way is it's very hierarchical. And so we're and and wa- start doing this. Start paying attention to a lot of our the ways we talk about God, and you'll see this. Is it hierarchical, hierarchical, one of those ways to say it? Hierarchical language. And so I've started to pay attention to that. I even talked to Josh about it recently. I'm like, we always want to impose a hierarchy everywhere we go. And um, when we were praying that your kingdom come, your will be done, we, we have this context of hierarchy that God does not have. Because the three in one, the kingdom of God is literally equality. And so when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, we really don't know what we're praying because we're bringing to it the idea of hierarchy. And what God is inviting us into is so radically different, we really cannot grasp it. And it's um, interesting that we think we can because it's so contrary to everything we know about who we are as humans. And even as we're talking about this idea of power, we go into into theology and conversations about God and relationship with God with power as the undercurrent, with consumption as the undercurrent. But this is what's so beautiful about the table of God, is it is the place we step into that flips all of that around. And as we break the bread, and as we drink the cup, it is where we truly experience the idea of kingdom, which means everyone is equal with Jesus at the center. It's a different kind of, so when we are stepping into communion this morning, I want to invite you into a different kind of kingdom than you know and a different kind of participation in the kingdom of God and a different way to relate to each other not only in this room but in all the ways that Josh just talked to us about I want us to imagine that Jesus is the center and we are all equal and united and different and beautiful and allow that to form you This table forms us as the people of God. It changes the way we think about God. It changes the way we participate in worship. It changes the way we relate to each other. This is formation as it happens. It's not just a a thing we do because it's churchy. It can be. And man, let us never let this just be a churchy thing, even though this is sort of really funny as I hold this cellophane contraption Um, it's very contradictory but Jesus (laughs) truly transformed us this morning let us encounter God and each other at this table and let us change it again 
Bill, do we have, are, how are we going to do this? Okay, so on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, and if you'll say this with me, we proclaim the mystery of faith that Christ has died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So pray with me. Lord God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table only, for solace only, and not for strength, for pardon only, and not for renewal. Let the grace of this holy communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world in his name. Risen Lord, be known to us in the breaking of this bread. Accept these prayers and praises, Father, through Jesus Christ, our high priest, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, your church gives honor and glory and worship from generation to generation. God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, this is the awkward portion, but it's going to be good, okay? We're going to kind of... If you're a first-timer and this is too much, that's okay. Please do not feel like you have to do this, especially after talking about the monastics. Anybody else who feels comfortable, we just want to gather in a big circle. So however you'd like to get in that way, we're not going to hold hands, but just stand in a circle and we're going to pray for a few things. You can go ahead and move some leadership, get some leaders in here, you know what I'm saying? You can be up here, that's fine, all the way around. are a first timer and you'd like to just hear a little bit of information about the church Kara will be out in the lobby area if not I'm going to pray first and then I'm going to have Tina pray the first thing I want to do is I want to ask that we just 
ask God to bless Love Smyrna and the efforts, especially in the conversations that are going to be had with anybody receiving any of these things. So I'm going to lead that portion, and then you can jump to the next thing up there, um, whichever one of those looks good to you. Okay. So Jesus, we present to you our efforts, and we ask as a community that you would allow us to see where you're going. And we ask the right people, the right places. We ask for the hearts of generosity and hospitality. We ask that we wouldn't show up with all the answers to tell everybody what they need to do, but we would be open for the ministry of conversation and that you would give us the ability to make new friends, that you would give us the ability to spend time with, and that you would guide us to the right people. That the people that come to Love Smyrna would not feel like it's a spectacle or a big event that's going to be posted on social media to brag about as a church, but they would truly feel seen as Bartimaeus felt seen, that they would truly find community and kinship, that they would somehow see you in it and want to follow you, that there would be stories of how you've weaved all these things together in our city. The other churches that will be a part of Love Smyrna, quicken them in the prayer booth with me to be ready to love people ecumenically and not possessively. Let it feel like our bodies are coming together in this city because we love you and we love the city we serve. Bless all the people volunteering that day, that they would come ready to be loving like we're all abbots, like we're all there to offer hospitality, generosity, and care. In every conversation, we thank you for providing the funds to be able to do something like this given us the opportunity to serve together in our city. Jesus, God, I just pray over um, River City to be a safe haven. And so I just want to read the psalm of today again. Um, a lot of you weren't in here when we started the service this morning. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, they were like those who dream." that our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And so we are glad. And that, that literally is River City Church. Um, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joys. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in sheaves with him. God, we just believe for the harvest that you're bringing in as, as we continue to be faithful and consistent and dependent on you, as we surrender our hearts to you, as we walk in humility and gratitude. Lord, that you restore to us everything that needs to be restored in us and through us. God, would you give us the key in this city to restore hearts to you? God, that we would see reconciliation in every single way in our city. God, we pray that this would be a space where outcasts feel welcome. We pray that this would be a space where refugees find comfort. We pray that this would be a space where orphans and widows find a family and a home. And God, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that this would be a space where spiritual hearts are lit on fire and that you are the oil, your presence that burns within them, God, that brings them into the fullness of life, that gives them complete communion with you, Father God. Abba, we say thank you for this space and this building, for Josh, all of our leadership, our wise counsel. God, would you unify us together from a first-time visitor all the way to the person who's been here the longest. God, we just declare this is your space. This is your home. This is not our church. We didn't man-make this thing. This is you. And so, God, we just say thank you again. We surrender to you. And God, just give us joy today. Every person in this room, I just speak joy in Jesus' name. We love you, God. Everybody said amen. One more prayer. If there's a person or a people group, you would just like to say, God, we want you to bless them. Any person in here, any specific person in your life, you can go ahead and say that for the next few moments.
close with the doxology. But right before that, if you're someone who really needs a community to surround and pray for you, just kind of lift your hand if that's something that's a need for you in your life right now. that changes by the time we're done with doxology and you'd like to come up for prayer, we would love to pray for you. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. You ready? We're doing it together. Jesus is worthy. Here we go. Ready? So praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.